All right. Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Riverside. We are glad you're here. Tis the season. I hope you're excited. Uh, It's in the air. I don't know if, has anyone finished their Christmas shopping yet? Don't raise your hand because we hate you, whoever you are. (gasps) Don't worry, Cyber Monday is coming and uh, you've got time tomorrow to make it all happen, to make the magic happen. It's a wonderful time of year and we are glad that you are here. For the next few weeks, we've got a really simple task and a really simple focus, Jesus. I know it's a time when our attention uh, is diverted a lot of ways and we're looking at a lot of things. Uh, But it's also a time of year when so many people around the world turn their attention to Jesus. In fact, uh, the experts say that this is the time of year, even more than Easter, when people come to church and visit church and come back to church. This is a good time of year, by the way, to invite your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors to come to church with you. People are looking to come this time of year and turn their attention, their focus towards Jesus. And that's what we want to do. I want to start this morning, uh, this series, with this question. Have you ever seen God. Just think about that for a minute. Have you ever seen God? You may know, we've talked about this before, that about half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Think about that for a minute. And they say that half of those people live on less than $1 a day. So by those standards, everyone in the room, you know this already, you're rich. Uh, You're filthy rich. Uh, In those developing countries, in those third world countries, one of the major problems that occurs for so many families is is blindness. In fact, they say that in these developing countries and in the parts of the world where people live on less than $2 a day, that you're 500% more likely to either be born blind or to go blind. And they say that to live in those cultures, in those worlds, in those places and spaces today in 2016, almost 2017, where this is still happening, that if you're, if you're born blind or that you go blind in a, a third world in a developing country, that your life expectancy is cut way down. And in fact, they say that when that happens, you're probably only likely to live a year or two after you go blind because being born blind or, being, or, or going blind in those places... They say it's like being born with a mouth but with no hands. You have no way to make a living. So I want you to meet two sisters, Sonia and Anita. Uh, Both these girls were born blind into the same family. Sonia's 12, Anita is 6. They've never been able to see. You can see there's two pictures there, a before and after. Uh, there's an organization called 202020, and what they have discovered is that many times, not all the time, but in a lot of cases, blindness can be solved with a 15-minute surgery that only costs $300. Now, the problem for Sonia and Anita is that they live in, in a very impoverished area of India where their parents make 17 cents an hour planting and harvesting rice. So it, it might as well cost a million dollars. There's no way they could ever, ever afford the surgery. But what this organization does is they go in and they partner with local physicians, uh, with people on the ground there, and they, they make the way for people like Sonia and Anita to have the surgery, and they did. And 15 minutes later, they, they, were, they had their eyes fixed, they had bandages put on, and then when they were removed for the very first time, they could see. As the story goes, Anita would often sit in her room, six years old, and she would pray this prayer, Lord, you have given me two eyes, but why have you not allowed me to see? I want you to imagine what it would have been like for these girls. Bandages covering their eyes. Unable, they they had never seen the face 
of their mom. Think about that. I mean, they, they knew who she was. They had been in her presence. They knew that she had provided for them and cared for them and loved them and fed them and, and done everything for them, held them, sustained them, but never, ever, ever seen their face, never saw their mom smile, never knew the color of her eyes, never you know, had seen the emotion on her face when she was happy or when she was sad until the morning in the hospital when she woke up and the doctors took the bandages off of her eyes and the very first thing she saw was the face of her mom. They said, they said the first words out of her mouth, the six-year-old little girl's mouth was, Mommy, I can see you, Mommy, with tears running down her face because for the very first time, she'd seen her mom. Isn't that amazing? True story. So I want to ask you again, have you ever seen God? See, I think a lot of us, a lot of us have known his presence, like we've felt him near. Uh, maybe you've known, like a lot of us know, that he's, he's been close, he's provided for us, he's sustained us, he's, he's fed us, he's clothed us, he's taken care of us, he's, he's there. But for whatever reason, if you asked us, we would say, We've never seen him. We've, we've never, no, we've, we've, never, we've never seen him. And, and I think it's interesting that we follow a God who, if I asked you, many of you would say you've, you've never seen him. In fact, some of you, if you have struggled with your faith or you're struggling with your faith, or maybe this morning you're here, somebody invited you to come and, and you, you don't really know that you believe in God, this is probably why. How, how do you put your hope and your faith in a God you've never seen, Right? I mean, we gather here every week and we sing these beautiful songs to a God that we've never laid eyes on. We, we worship this God that, that we've never seen. We, 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 we do this every week. We gather and we talk about it and we say all of our hope is in him, all of our trust in it is in him. But the truth is we've, we've never seen him. And, and even from the earliest of times, as the story goes, God said, there shall be no graven images of me. So he never wanted to be seen in that way. You know, other religions, uh, people around the world, they always work to, to make sculptures or, or do paintings or craft objects of worship that symbolize or look like or model what their God looks like so that they have something visual to worship. But even from the earliest of times, God said, don't do that with me. You, you can't do that. It's impossible. Even the presence of God was ambiguous. In the old days, as the story is told, his presence was, was, was felt by a, by a cloud or or a fire, or, or he resided in like the, the most holy place where only one man could go once a year, and they tied a rope around his ankle in case he died in the presence of God, they could pull him out. That's what they said anyway. No one had ever seen God. Scripture says that. It says that no one has ever seen God. And yet we gather every week to worship this God. Why? Why do we do that? Well, if you're wondering that, and if... You're struggling with that. I, w- I want you to lean in for a minute because I-, I want us to, to talk about that. Uh, from the very first, uh, for a lot of us, let's start here. This is why we believe. Uh, there was this guy named Luke. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn that on and open up to Luke this morning. We're going to look there again. There was a guy named Luke who lived in the same time that Jesus lived. And he really wanted to get the story straight, all right? 
there had been, he, he, wrote, he wrote his story years after Jesus had lived and died and, and, and ra- been resurrected. And, and there were stories going out everywhere about this man, Jesus. Missionaries were taking the story of Jesus, uh, what happened to Jesus, all around the known world at this point. And as you can imagine, as stories get told and retold, they begin to kind of get muddied and confused. And so Luke said out, he said, I want to tell the story straight. I want to get eyewitness accounts. I want to see what others have written. I want to get it all together. And I want to give an accurate account of what is true concerning this man, Jesus. So this morning, I want us to look, in fact, open up to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1, just read these first four verses. I want you to hear what Luke is trying to do when he started putting the story together of this man that, that we worship, Jesus. In Luke 1, he says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. And they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the very early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So Luke is writing to this guy named Theophilus. If you know, you don't have to know Greek to know that name probably means friend of God. It could, have been to, it could have written to, to a person named Theophilus or to anyone who was a friend of God. We're not really sure. Probably one, one guy. He wrote this letter to and said, I want you to know the truth. I've done the investigation. I've done the, the, the investigative reports. I've, I've talked to everyone there is to talk to. I've gone through the different communities where Jesus walked and lived and, and spoke. And, and here is what I believe is true. I've done all of this research. And I want to give you an accurate accounting of what is true. And what's interesting is that Luke could have written his letter in a much easier way for us to read, right? If you've ever read his writings, you know, there are some things that he said that just seemed kind of hard to believe, but he said it anyway. He could have told the story in a, in, a, in a way that would have been much easier for us to understand, but he said some hard things because Luke was wanting to give an accurate account of what was true about this man, Jesus. And so this morning, if you've ever wondered why do we gather to worship a God we've never seen and why do we speak of this Jesus? This is part of the reason. We go back to this one man and other men like him who wrote these eyewitness accounts of what was true. And I want you to listen to what Luke says about Jesus. Let's get down to verse 26. We, we shared this a moment ago, but let's read it again. In Luke 1:26, Luke says that it was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now just push pause right there because you may not know this, but I think this is interesting, that Nazareth was a town in the day of Jesus of about 1,500 people. Incredibly small, incredibly insignificant. Near the Sea of Galilee, it was a no-name town in the middle of nowhere. Mary... At this point in her life, is engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a carpenter in town. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Her life, her path, her plan is set. She's going to marry this carpenter in this small town named Nazareth that no one has ever heard of. She's going to raise her kids and live out her days in this place. At this point in her life, she's still living with her mom and dad, but it won't be long till she's married to Joseph. And it's in the middle of, of this that an angel comes to her and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. What's Mary thinking in this moment? Like, am I dreaming? 
Is this real? Verse 29, you, you can understand this first word in verse 29. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could possibly mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be, the very, he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? Because I'm still a virgin. I think this is really interesting. Matthew and Luke, they both give accounts. These are two guys that wrote the accounts of when Jesus was born. And both of them tell the story of how Jesus was going to be born of a virgin. This isn't hardly emphasized anywhere else in Scripture, but it is here. I mean, if you think about the story of Jesus, what's really emphasized in all of Scripture is his death, his burial, his resurrection. It would have been really easy for Luke to kind of gloss over this, but he doesn't. Matthew doesn't either. They both tell the story in very unique and different ways, but they both, they both make this point. And if you're reading this for the first time, you're thinking, this is impossible. This is crazy. The story has no credibility from the beginning, but it does. It does because Luke didn't have to write it, but he did. You know why he wrote it? Because according to every eyewitness account, according to Mary, this is how it happened. This is how it went down. That this angel came to her and said, this is going to happen this way. And you are going to have a son And he is going to be born of you and God. And he's going to be called the Son of God. And it's a point, it's how Luke and Matthew both, I think, from the very beginning of their story, affirm their belief that Jesus was not just any son, but the Son of God. The angel replied, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And in this baby, Mary, what you need to know is that the fullness of God is going to be in him. Like, yeah, there was a time when the the, the fullness of God dwelled in the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle and later in a temple. But now the fullness, the totality, the entirety of God is going to be contained, is going to reside, is going to abide in this person, in your son, the son of God, in Jesus. 36, what's more, your, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Nobody could believe that happened, but it did. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. In other words, nothing is impossible with God. So Mary responded, and we just sang it. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I want you to imagine just for a moment what would it have been like to be Mary? Think about this. This is crazy. This is, this is, this is scandalous, right? Uh, for, for Mary in her day and time to have a baby out of wedlock, that was, that was unheard of. That was scandalous. That was grounds for some serious consequences. And yet God comes to her and says, this, this is gonna how it's going to happen. The problem is, is that for the last 400 years, no one had ever heard from God. Like in Mary's generation and the generation before that and the generation before that, all they had was stories of what God had done long, long ago. They had heard the stories of how God had delivered his people. They had heard the stories of the miraculous things that he had done. But it's been a long time, people, 
since he's done anything. Not, not only has Mary or anyone in her age bracket or in her parents' age bracket or her grandparents' age bracket, uh, you know, heard from God, they've never even seen the evidence of this God that they've heard the stories about. All they're holding on to are some ancient stories of what God did long ago. And now, and now God comes to Mary. There's been 400 years of silence. And they've been begging for a Messiah. Once again, the people of God are living under oppression, Roman oppression, brutal oppression. And everyone's crying out for this Messiah, this Messiah that, was, that had been promised over and over again throughout Scripture. In fact, just, just listen to some of the words that Mary knew. Mary was taught from the time she was born these words. She knew these words were true. Everybody knew these words were true. Everybody had been looking for a Messiah, begging God for a Messiah, because they knew these words from the Old Testament, from, the, from God's word, from the prophets of old. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins, get this, are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things that I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line and he will do what is just and right throughout the land for the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision about, uh, based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Yes, please, that's what we need under this Roman oppression. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth and his house and his kingdom will continue before me for all time and his throne will be secure forever. Yes, come, Messiah. We're desperate for you. But it's been 400 years. Nothing, not a, not a word, not a new experience, not a new story to tell, nothing but silence. And all of a sudden, on a night just like every other night, this angel appears to a girl in a town nobody's heard of. And he breaks his silence with her. With her. He came to a woman. And the first word spoken to a human being in 400 years is to Mary. To Mary. Think about the implications of this. This is not the way she had planned her life. This is not the way she thought it would go. She had big plans to marry this man her parents had picked out for her, 
to raise their children and to live hopefully happily ever after in the middle of Nazareth where they can make ends meet and have a life together. And then God interrupts her plans and things take a different turn. And up to this point in the story, no one had ever seen God. And then Mary finds out in nine months, not only is she going to see him, she's going to hold him. And she's going to see the face of God when she sees Jesus. Have you ever seen God? My guess is this morning that for a lot of you, this is true of you too. That if you think about where you are right now and today, you didn't think you would be here or at this point. You thought your life was going to go different. You had different plans and different ideas about your future. And when you look back on what you thought was going to be and you think about what is, it's quite a contrast. And maybe you feel like in your life, like right now, it feels like that 400 years of silence. Like for you, God feels far away. God feels distant. God feels silent. It's been a long time since you've heard from him and it's been an even longer time since you would even say you've seen him. But Luke tells Mary, or God tells Mary here in Luke, that she's going to have a son. And the son is going to be the fullness of God. Uh, the Hebrew writer said it this way, and, and we read it earlier, that, that the son will be the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. One of, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, John, would write in his gospel, he would say that the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Like, like, like Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is I- exactly like him in every way. And John would say as one of the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus that we have seen him. We have seen, we have seen his glory. We have seen Jesus. So I want to help you out this morning. And I believe this is true that if you have seen Jesus, then you have seen God. But I feel like so many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus are walking around And it's like we're walking in the dark. We say we're following Jesus, but we don't even know where he is. We can't see him. We say we want to be like him, but we can't even fix our eyes on him because we don't know what he looks like. We don't know where he is. You can't follow Jesus if you can't see him, and you can't become like him if you don't look at him. It's like we've got the bandages on us. It's like some of us had the surgery. You know, we, we, uh, we stepped into the water. We were baptized. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's like somewhere in that process, we forgot to take the bandages off of our eyes. And so we've been walking around as followers of Jesus like this, trying to fill our way around the room and trying as best we can. We know that he's there. We felt his presence. We know that he's provided for us. We, we, even, we, even, we even know what it feels like to experience him, but, but we, we haven't seen him because no one yet has taken off the bandages. No one has opened our eyes so that we could actually see him. And this is my encouragement to you and to us as we dive into this series. 
between now and Christmas, I want you to see Jesus. Church, I want us to to fix our eyes on Jesus. I want us to take a long look at Jesus. He's, He's revealed on every page of scripture. And in fact, what what would be really amazing is for the next few days between now and the time that Christmas rolls around us, just, just, just pick, pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just take time to read the stories of Jesus, to see, to see the the pictures that were painted by these four different eyewitnesses of the life of this man and to to catch a glimpse of what he looks like. Because when you see Jesus, you'll see God. And, And I know that sometimes it feels like that he's far away. And I know that sometimes it feels like he's distant and you haven't heard his voice and you haven't seen him lately. But I want to encourage you to step into his presence and open your eyes and read the stories and see the picture that's been painted of this man, Jesus. Because even when he's silent, he doesn't stay silent. And he always makes good, makes good on his promises. Because you see, Jesus is the promised one. And he always makes good on his promises. And what I want for you and I is to step in faith into his presence and open our eyes and spend time taking a long look at Jesus. You know, I'll be real honest. I feel like so many times for us who are Christians and who go to church, that this right here is is the totality of our spiritual life. You know, we come, we check the box, we go home. And then we come back next Sunday when it rolls around. And I want to just be real honest with you. And this, there's no judgment here. It's just, you, you know this is true. Is that if you want to know Jesus, if you want to, if you want to experience Jesus, if you, want to, if you want to see Jesus, then it's, 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 it's more than that. There's so much more than that. And I want you to take time to step into his presence, especially during this season, to lean in and take a long look at Jesus. Open his word. Breathe in the stories. And I'll tell you, you want to know what God looks like? Take a long, hard look at Jesus. Church, if you would, stand with me. I'll be real honest with you. I've never had much trouble with my eyesight, except for those few minutes in the morning between when I wake up and I put my contacts in, I I can see fairly well. (laughs) Sometimes you'll see me squint to see that back screen back there. It's a long way away. But other than that, I do all right. But a lot of us, myself included, yeah, we need someone to heal us of our spiritual blindness. So many times in Scripture, these stories, you'll read them if you, if you dive in with me this month into, into one of the Gospels. Jesus would heal someone of blindness, and, and he would restore their sight. And you know what they would do when they opened their eyes, and the first thing they saw was Jesus? They would fall down and worship. I believe that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when, we, when he heals us of our spiritual blindness, and we open our eyes and we see him, that, that we too, we too will respond in worship. And, and what happens is so many of the other things that clutter our lives, so many of the things that, that worry us and confuse us, so many of the things that we argue about and fight about, they all fade away. They all fade away when we fix our eyes on Jesus. So this is my prayer for you. That not only would you take time 
to fix your eyes on Jesus. But I would invite you to pray this prayer. To say, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. To pray that prayer over and over again. And to see how Jesus reveals himself to you. Because I guarantee you, if you you pray for him to do what those doctors did for Sonia and Anita, if you pray for him to heal your blindness, if you pray for him to open your eyes, that he will. And maybe like Anita, you'll look at the face of Jesus and you'll say, with tears in your eyes, I can finally see my Jesus. Church, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the promised one. His promise isn't that your life is going to be easy. His promise is his presence. You can ask Mary. Her life didn't get easier when Jesus entered the picture. Her life got a lot more difficult. But she had the promise of the provision of God and the presence of her Savior. And that same promise is true for us. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to ask our shepherds at this time to just kind of make their way around the room. And I know so many of you are going through difficult times, and, and, and if they're aware of that, they're going to come pray with you. If you want them to pray for you, just just find one of them and they will, they will gladly do that. And if for whatever reason, uh, you know, you're hearing this this morning and you're like, I, I do want to see him. I've never seen him. Invite one of them to pray over you, just that prayer, to ask God to help you see Jesus. My prayer is that over the next few weeks, we will all have our eyes opened and we can fix our gaze on him. Let's sing.